You're listening to the Foreign and International Medical Graduate Show, a podcast to inspire physicians in the process of immigration to the United States and access to graduate medical education. We create meaningful and helpful content that motivates medical students and doctors throughout the world with the goal of creating a community that supports itself and gives feedback to each other, that stays updated with the most recent tips and advice on how to make it in America and become a successful resident or fellow in the speciality of your dreams. Dr. Alonso Osorio is board certified and residency trained in both emergency and family medicine and will be bringing you 20 years of his personal experiences, struggles and motivation. We'll be chatting with people like you to talk about the lessons they've learned along their personal path, how to make an impact and how we can all benefit from it. Also, we'll analyze the current resources available and how to benefit from them. Thanks for joining us. Please enjoy the show. Welcome, international medical graduates. This is Dr. Alonso Osorio, and I am happy to convey to you that we are recording episode number 50, And we can go back all the way to December 30th of 2019, when I decided to get this job done and launch the episode, and I cannot believe that today is our 50th episode birthday. And I think it's a huge milestone. I mean, most of the podcasts out there produce up to six episodes, 95% of them, and, and they just die off and they never kind of sustain consistency and try to stay on the market and on the air. It takes a lot of dedication and, you know, avoid self-procrastination and finding, you know, the, the time and space to convey information that might be useful not only to other people, but also makes you a better person learning about what you've been through. And, well, that's what episode number 50 is all about. It's the second part of the podcast series for the experiential experiences uh, in the United States. And, well, I think uh, it is important to produce this sort of common sense material that is not so common. Remember, the less common of the senses is the common sense. And this... uh, Little thoughts and ideas and experiences that I'm sharing with you didn't come to me as easy as you expect. And obviously, my goal is to get you oriented to life in America as a physician. And I do know that many of you have successfully gotten interviews. I actually, I heard from my friend, Dr. Fernes Paez Olmos from Colombia, that he got his first interview in El Paso, Texas for psychiatry. So kudos go out to him and his family for the hard work and the dedication that they have put in into this. And I just wish all of you good luck at obtaining not only one, but many more interviews. One more thing before we get going here. I also been hearing on many internet groups about learning about behavioral experiences. So just remember, go back a few chapters in our podcast, download them all, and you will find gradually and surely many of the little tips that I think are important in your life that come from my experience or someone else's. And even if that person gives you some pointers, you know, there is also plentiful of information out there on the internet. So YouTube is always a good resource. But just keep working hard and I wish you luck, as I said. And here we go, episode number 50. 
50 50. We're going to talk about team members. And this is crucial. When you make it into America like me, like I did in 2000, everything was remarkably new. And the day I put my new lab coat in America with the new hospital name on it, this not only came with the representation of you as a person, but you're also representing a program, you represented a hospital, and you need to line up with the mission and the vision from the hospital healthcare system that you are being part of. And there is two concepts, just briefly, that I want to discuss. You are there, obviously, as a doctor, but in America, it's not only about the doctoring and the good quality of medical care, but there is a strong component into the image that you represent and who you are in that institution. You're not only Dr. X, Y, or Z, you're also Dr. X, Y, and Z that works for, let's say, in my case, back in 2003, the Nebraska Medical Center. And that comes with the customer service, the professionalism, and the integrity of you as a person. Within that team that you're going to be part of, not only healthcare workers, administrator, etc., you represent an important piece of the system. Not in, it doesn't matter that you're an intern. It doesn't matter that you're barely beginning in the United States, but it's going to be a significant learning process on how to relate to other people. My biggest advice, be humble, stay humble, and remain humble. Not because you are an MD or DO and you are practicing medicine in the United States, suddenly other people become less than you are. And every single person in the healthcare team are there not only to help you, but you are there to help each other and help the patient to have the best possible outcome. So as the leader of the team that you are, you must always acknowledge and be thankful for the amount of people that are part of this huge healthcare system team. And that's one of the reasons why healthcare is so expensive in America, because there is so many ingredients to the mix. In Colombia, let's say, in my country, when I left 22 years ago, a unit of healthcare services, for example, let's say a hospital floor, had one charge nurse. This nurse was a bachelor's degree nurse, the one that has the little white hat on the top. Not here in America, but in Colombia. And we call it la enfermera jefe or the chief head nurse. And she was responsible for, let's say, 50 patients on her ward. And the patients had multiple nurse aides and they did most of the patient care related work. And, you know, you have the radiology tech, you have this person and that, but it's not as robust as it is in America. And in a specific circumstances that I lived through in my rural service, I remember the person that drove the ambulance that was not a paramedic. He also was the watchman for the hospital. And the registrar also sold the gloves to the patients for them to get examined. And at the same time, she had the keys for the medication dispensers. And I didn't have a pharmacist. And I had uh, 
a person that dispensed medications through a little window, and I had one nurse that not necessarily was a nurse sometimes, and it was only me and maybe a laboratory technician. So it's a pretty simple setup. I don't know what it's like in India. I don't know what it is in other parts of the world. But third world countries are not well known for having a very robust healthcare system. So having said that, welcome to the United States. And what you are going to find happening as of July 1st of the year that you join the program, that's the year that interns come to start the residency program, you're going to be one of them. So when you walk into the hospital, there are so many team members that are part of this huge team approach that you are going to be relating with. So let's talk about them. Let's talk about some of them. You come as a new doctor and you're going to be working on relationship buildup. And I've been an intern twice. And I tell you the truth. The first one all around was the getting to know America. I didn't even know what things were like. I didn't know how doors open, the electronic doors, these and that, all these little gadgets and technologies. Back in my days, we didn't have an electronic medical record. Now we do. Back then, we did progress notes in in hand and paper, and we went just from one room to the other, just making notes in the in the chart, and that was the the medical record, and that's how they did the billing and coding, etc. Right now, obviously, things have gotten significantly complex and in somehow an easy way. I can tell you when the computer crashes and we have to go into the backup mode that is paper, things don't flow as smoothly whatsoever. So you have many uh, many little hardships to go through. And as I said, having had been an intern uh, twice, I had to, on the first one, learn it all. And on the second one, I had to swallow my pride. Why do I say that? Because when I came back for my second residency training in emergency medicine, despite the fact I was an intern, I was already board certified residency training, uh, training family medicine. And I had been in private practice for two years. And despite the fact that I was really young, still I was what? I made it into family medicine at the age of 21. I finished when I was 24, and then I practiced another two years. I was 26. I was 26 and a half, almost 27 years when I started emergency medicine, and I finished emergency medicine when I was 30. So being a 27-year-old intern, that's kind of a standard for the American uh, medical student or, you know, kind of classic, but... Uh, the first time around being an intern at the age of 21, 22, that was remarkably young. And obviously I looked young and the second time I looked young, but with the second one, I already had a degree. I was certified by a large uh, society in America, by the American Board of Family Physicians. So I had to swallow my pride, but it was a completely type, a different type of experience having gone for the second time around for the residency training for the second time. So get to know your team members. We're going to talk about Hugs, the health unit coordinators, the PCT, the patient care technicians, the technicians or paramedics. Now, the multiple nurses, when you talk about the nursing staff, you have the, the CNAs, the LVNs, the LPNs. You have the nurses that have an associate degree, a bachelor's degree. You have the nurse managers. You have your house supervisors or what they call the AOD, administrator and duties, on duty. You have the CNO, etc. You also have the lab techs in the lab and that are department-based. You have the phlebotomists, child life care specialists, greeters, volunteers, social workers, case managers, 
obviously you have the fantastic people from environmental services or what they call the cleaning personnel that make your life easy and smooth and keep the uh, patient's rooms uh, running and, and churning. And now with the, the, within the Department of Radiology, that is huge. You have the CT technologists. Don't call them CT techs. They get really upset. The CT technologists, they don't consider themselves technicians. The ultrasound technologists, the MRI technologists, or, uh, and the plain film and nuclear medicine technologists. That's just within the Department of Radiology. And you have also your respiratory therapist, your physical therapist, your occupational therapist, a speech therapist, police, security officers, and obviously here in America we have uh, two physician assistant type of uh, jobs, which are the PAs themselves, physician assistants, or PAC, physician assistant certifies, and the advanced register nurse practitioners or nurse of advanced register practice or something like that this is how they call it. They keep changing as the day goes on. You have the CRNAs, the certified registered nurse anesthetists uh, that work under the license of the anesthesiologist. You have your interventional radiology techs and interventional radiology nurses, inter interventional Sorry, the CAT lab uh, esteem, uh, team, the STEMI team, the stroke team. You obviously have your administrators and always students of, of all sorts. Depends on the size of the institution that you work in, if they're affiliated or not with a local school. You will have all sorts of different students and they're going to be there either working with you, working with other people. But in summary, guys, respect, kindness on your interactions. Everybody's watching. You're the physician. You're an example. And these people could make your life easy and work for you or make your life impossible and make it significantly harsh. An example. I've been a doctor now for, what, 20 years since I graduated from medical school. I've been practicing in the United States as a physician as of July 1st of 2003. But I graduated from medical school 20 years ago. So I've been around for a long time. And I'm working in a new hospital. And I have this charge nurse that is making my life impossible. From day number one, she told me very clearly that she's been doing this for 20 years. And I didn't disregard that. I respect it. But you have people that are there to make your life easy. And there are people there to make your life impossible. And no matter what I do, I don't know how to get to this lady's heart and how to make things easier. But she is literally the most annoying person. And she walk, walks around with her chest puffed up. And she thinks she is the last Coca-Cola in the whole desert. And she's not making my life easy. And when she's around, she makes the life of everybody around her miserable. When you talk to her, she never looks at you in the eye. When she talks to you, she never looks at you in the eye. And she has a way just to completely dismiss your attitude. And she thinks she's above and beyond whatever you do or say. And you're going to find a lot of these people. And my attitude could be their harsh way and just kind of headbutt with her and puff up my ego and let her know that I'm the doctor and that you need to respect me and so forth. And I have decided to just manage things and do the right thing for the patients. But it comes to the moment that you need to reach to your supervising the medical director or whatever to try to see how you can get this person in line. Because remember, you have done your part, but in America, nurses are owned 
and led by the hospital unless you own the practice and you are her boss and you hired a nurse to work for your own practice. That's a whole different story. But in 99% of the hospital settings in America, nurses do work for the hospital. And believe it or not, guys, even despite that you're the doctor and you work within the with within the hospital, nurses don't work for you, bro. And they will throw you under the bus. They will make your head roll. They will talk to the administrators. They will talk to other doctors and they will get you fired. That's it. They will get you fired. They're powerful. They work with the masses. They're very clicky. And, and I have a very good relationship with the nurses. I'm just warning you. So you don't look at this 10 years ago. Oh, Dr. Osorio said it once. Be careful. Professional, professional, professional. And guys, don't get involved in love. Relationships on sexual relationship with the nurses, this could end up really bad. Sexual harassment is huge in America. Be careful on how you say. Don't curse neither. Be extremely professional the way you approach them and address them. Be kind but professional and, and be careful on what you say. Uh, it could be really turned and manipulated the wrong way. So carry yourself in a way that will set you apart and stand up. But at the same time, just remember everybody's looking for you to make a mistake. So just walk walk that fine path, fine, fine line and... Do your best. I'm not saying be ultra paranoid, but 20 years of experience of having dealt with many, many, many occupants of this uh, healthcare team has let me realize how crucial and fragile could be these uh, interactions with other people. Because remember, big brother healthcare systems are uh, are looking uh, down on, on any disruptive physician. And, and we doctors literally have lost uh, power and we lost the position that we had in the community and well-regarded. We have become more like just, um, you know, this is hard to say. We have taken a second seat and medicine in America is more about the profit and you have become just another technology, another commodity and, you know, I want to also probably create awareness of how important for us guys, doctors, should be to, again, be what we were. I guess they soon realized that we were making too much money and now they want to get under control. And the money is not staying with us, it's staying with someone else. And this is just in general. So I don't want to make you bitter. I want you to enjoy your career. I know many of you are just barely getting started, but definitely uh, healthcare in America and around the world is very much different than what it was 20 years ago and 50 years ago. And, and it's a constant, ever dynamic changing process. So being the lookout, just to stay professional. That's just my recommendation. Hands off the nurses. As I said, don't get involved in relationships within the hospital. It could fire back on you and um, fire back on you and, and really hurt your career. So watch it, watch it. Just keep it professional. Anyway, let's talk about the team members. So the HUC, the health unit coordinator. The health unit coordinator is this important person that in my case, some offices might call it the receptionist. In our case, the health unit coordinator, she knows who are the consultants of the hospital. She knows the call schedule. She makes the phone calls for you. She puts the pages out. She notifies you via communication device, either a phone, a page, or a beeper, heads up uh, display, uh, microphone, that the consultant is available on the line, that they're ready to talk to you. 
They coordinate transfers. They get documents ready for you. They call paramedics to pick up the patients. They interact and register the people. They're fundamental and they're crucial. And they're like literally the beating heart of the unit. I think without the healthcare unit coordinators, things could be done in an easy way. So be kind to them. Uh, they're usually young, either young kids or people that are doing this for their career. They make about $15 an hour or something like that. And, and they work really, really hard. And some doctors are really mean, mean towards them and just just appreciate the, do, the the work that they do. Many of them just become really good friends. And we spend so much close time together that they're important to have them on your side. Also, we have the PCTs. The, some hospitals have PCT, patient care technicians, some other hospitals call them technologists, some other hospitals you have in-house paramedics. So even despite the fact that you see some techs, they have different backgrounds. Some of them are pre-medical students that have their paramedic licensing degree and they're doing those transiently. There's people that this is their lifetime career. Also, their income is somewhere between $15 and $25. And they're crucial. They help you put a splints. They put IVs. They help in PC and CPR. They do many of the non-nursing skills. They're really helpful at triaging patients, getting them to the rooms, assisting them for tasks, etc. So, so they're crucial in our work interactions. And and some of them are extremely experienced at doing things like splints. Sometimes some of you have, don't know how to put a splint. These people will literally be the first, will teach you how to get it done because they've been doing that for 20 years or so. Now, getting back to the nurses, we have the RNs. When you talk about nursing, there is many degrees and flavors of nursing stuff. Not only the regular nurses that we call the registered nurses, but you have CNAs, LVNs, and LPNs. And once they become a nurse, you have the ones that have an associate degree and a bachelor's degree. The CNAs are part of the nursing team on their the entry level. And they do vital signs and changing the patient. They have a minimal six months to one year degree of education. They're usually either really young or in the older range. They either become nurses or they stay in that position for many years. But they, you see them doing vital signs in the patients and doing a lot of the direct patient one-on-one care, collecting urine, unfortunately wiping them, cleaning them, turning them, etc., 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 and they report to the nurse. The LVNs or LPNs, the licensed vocational nurse or the licensed practicing nurse, they're called different depending on the state. But in general, they work under a nurse's license. They can do everything a nurse can do, but they cannot do IV meds and neither dispense blood. Huge difference. So when tell you I'm a nurse, you need to say you mean an RN or an LVN, an LPN or a CNA. You really need to have clear what difference because you want to be relating the information to the uh, charge nurse or the bedside registered nurse. Out of the registered nurses, you have the bachelor's degrees, which means that she has a four-year degree in nursing or an associate degree that you can get it as done as quick in a year and a half or two years. It can be done online and there is so many differences in educations and quality standards in the United States that are differing in one state to the other, and and you know you get what you what you get uh, depending on the ex- degree or uh, of experience and the expertise. Uh, some of them are really good, some of them are not so. You know they come in different flavors, so just 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 be careful with your nurse what they say, what they write. When they approach you, look at the nurse's documentation, make sure that they understood what you said, etc. Just not until you get confident with the nurses and they're confident with you is that you can completely fully relax about their performing 
uh, pr uh, practice and and the same thing goes the other way. Now, when you talk about RNs with a bachelor's degree versus an associate degree, there is no really difference in the scope of practice. The only difference is when you have the four-year degree, it's easier for you to move up into the managerial positions. So many of these nurses, when they get the bachelor's degrees in nursing, BSN, you see them getting a master's in healthcare administration or an MBA, and these people are running up the ladder, what they call the ladder here, the nursing ladder, and score points towards becoming a leader within the hospital institution. So someone that you met 10 years ago, you turn back, go to another state, and then come back, and suddenly she's the CNO for the system or a big administrator for several surgical or intensive care units, etc. So that's, that's the path. Many associate degrees nurses go for their BSN just with the purpose of advancing their careers. But payment rate is pretty much the same. Nurses themselves get the opportunity to call out. I think they have a minimal required, depends on the hospital system, of three shifts a week, but they get up to like two call outs a month. So if they went to work, suddenly your hospital is understaffed. Suddenly they tell you, hey, doc, we have two call outs and we close eight beds because two nurses didn't show up. So each nurse takes about a four to five patient ratio, one on four, one on five. And they just decided to close eight to 10 beds in your unit. So you're short staff and you cannot handle the volume and the waiting room is going to get crowded, etc. And things are not going to flow as smoothly that day. And it's going to be sometimes a tougher night if you don't get your basic staff to fill in the shifts. Well, having said that, let's get down to the lab technologies. Here in America, lab techs, uh, you see them uh, working really hard, sometimes behind the walls of the laboratory. In the laboratory, you have the chemistry, you have the microbiology, and um, they all work behind the scenes managing these systems and these devices and giving proper lab results. They call you with critical reports. They're carefully, carefully integrated with the ED. Some of them are ED-based, some of them are unit-based, but most of the blood gets sent to the laboratory and they process that in a stat or routine fashion and they give you reports on the testing that you need. They rely on the phlebotomist, and you're going to see all these people in the elevators of your hospitals with thousands of tubes and needles and a computer, and they go from room to room in between 2 and 5 o'clock in the morning drawing blood from people. These people are super skillful. Sometimes no one can get an IV in the whole hospital or obtain blood. They can suck pretty much uh, a drop of blood out of a dry cactus in the middle of the desert. They're really proficient, really good. Remember to be cautious and professional when you see them say thank you because they do a job that you don't do and and they make our life easier. So just make sure you, you relate uh, close to them as well and let them know how important they are. We have the child life care specialist. This is one of those jobs that I'm like, oh my God, it blows my mind that here in America you actually had a person that has a bachelor's degree that specializes on entertaining kids and distracting them while you take care of them. So if you're working in a pediatric emergency department or you have a pediatric clinic, they have these people that their job is understand the psychology and the behavior behind children and keep us distracted, interacted to minimize the pain, suffering, and trauma during the healthcare experience. So... If you're going to give them sedation, they kind of explain what's going to happen. They put videos, they play with them, they interact, they make their life happy, they interact with their parents, they create a friendly children environment, etc. And they're like super cool to have them around, but 
they also have very restricted hours. Every hospital, every hospital sometimes has a greeter. You walk into a hospital and they greet you in the morning. Welcome to Hospital X and we're happy to have you. So greeters, you might see these type of people. You see a lot of volunteers. Volunteers, and mostly in America, retirees, ex-paramedics, ex-nurses, or people that are just literally bored out of their mind at home and they want to be helpful to people. And they volunteer somewhere between 20 and 30 hours a week just by walking into a hospital. Some of them are pillow fluffers. They go in from, from one room to the other, making sure you're okay, that you're taken care of, that you're having a fantastic patient satisfaction experience, etc. You're going to hear a lot about that, by the way patient satisfaction or chief experience officer and it's all about the experience how was your hospital experience what was the healthcare you got delivered today was your experience a good one did you feel that you were in Walt Disney World I'm just joking but in general you're gonna see a lot of volunteers that do a lot of that and now we have two people that really work really hard, and those are the social workers and the case managers. Most of them are social workers. They might have some nursing experience in the background, but they deal with the difficult circumstances in America. I joke, I joke, because in Colombia, I remember my farming patients coming from the mountains to see me, and they just went back home with no help. They just knew that they had to come and see the doctor, and they found a way to make it back to their town. But here in America, these people make it to the hospital and they don't have transportation. Nobody wants to pick them up or they're lying about it. Uh, They want a free ride. They want to get home. They want a free meal. They don't have a house. They got evicted. They got kicked out. Uh, They're doing drugs. They don't have money, et cetera, et cetera. They're homeless. And these people have to deal with the toughest situation, and most of these patients are not the nicest and the kindest ones to deal with. So they really help you with the placement, the long-term assistance, the safety of this patient, because believe it or not, you, you guys are liable for whatever happens to the patients once they leave the hospital doors. It's not only what you did bef- from the moment they got there. You're liable from what happens before in the ambulance, from what happens with them in the hospital, and what happens for them to them afterwards oh they left you left them go to an unsafe environment so it's your full doctor and i'm worth two million dollars because of the harm and suffering that you committed to me so it's crazy but well that makes just healthcare in america very interesting you're gonna see it you're gonna see it well another team uh, that are phenomenal team members are the um, environmental services staff during this covid pandemic they were so crucial these people were literally cleaning the rooms of the COVID patients and they're still doing it to the day. And when there was no COVID, they were making the rooms clean after a code, after an arrest. We leave these rooms a mess, blood, needles, plastic wraps on the floor, syringes, and these poor ladies, they go after us and they pick up. Sometimes I just feel bad for them and I decide just to squat myself and after a code is done, I pick up the few things, some pieces that I threw on the ground and did this and did that, the gel, the needles, the central line kit wrappers, the glove wrappers, etc. All the things that I probably could have uh, picked up. I try to help them out because when you walk by a room, I see them fully gowned, protecting themselves from not getting poked. I feel bad for these people and then they have to go and completely stellarize the room and getting it ready for the new patient right away. So be thankful to have them around. Remember... Be kind to them. They're usually my people, Latinos, and 
They also speak Spanish, a few words, you know. They become your best allies. They, they, they clean the trash underneath your desk. Just be thankful. I mean, everybody's so important. Be humble, guys. It doesn't matter. You're the fanciest, most specialized physician in the nation in being the specialist of the left great toe. Be kind to people. Do not forget where you came from. Let's move into radiology. You have the radiology. In radiology, I already spoke about, we, we have rat radiology technologies for CAT scan, for ultrasound, for MRI, for plain radiology and nuclear medicine. And, and they're all licensed and credentialed by the state. And literally, they will make you or break you. The Department of Radiology will make your life so much smoother to the point that your practice is going to be so productive that you really want to thank them for what they did. And if you're busy, they could cancel the orders for you if you're really bad, uh, occupied. Or they will call you. They know what films, views, technical orientations on the radiology studies you want to do. They want You want it with contrast, IV, PO. You want a lateral, an oblique. You want to include the hip or just the femur. You want the pelvis or not. Uh, I can cancel that for you. You want the ankle and the foot or just the foot to include the ankle. You want the proximal T-fib or not. So all these little things, and sometimes it's one extra call, and we doctors are so nasty, so harsh. Just be nice. They're just trying to do right by you. Even if you're the busiest person, just answer that one extra page and understand where they're coming from, and they just want to do their job right. And actually, you will learn from them. So listen to them. Respiratory therapists, we had an episode dedicated to them, so just go back to them. Respiratory therapists are great. They educate us in all these technologies of ventilation and oxygenation. They're not only there to dispense breathing treatments, and they're a fantastic part of the team for me. It's crucial to have them around. We work really closely doing blood gases, BiPAP, CPAP, intubation, ventilation management, oxygenation, etc. We We do it all. So thank you to the respiratory therapists. For those that work in the floor and for those that work with elders, you're going to see how crucial it's going to be getting a physical therapy and occupational therapy. We all know physical therapists, they look at the functionality of the body and the occupational therapists also look at the capacity for humans to perform the, their activities of daily living, the instrumental activities of daily living, if they're going to be fit to go home, if they're going to a safe environment, if they can transfer from the bed to the chair, from the chair to the walker from the walk they can use the walker from here to the bathroom can they cook can they clean can they literally wipe themselves while going to a toilet or not what kind of household situation they have can they eat can they swallow can they not it's amazing but all those little implications make a big difference in the care that you provide also we have a speech therapist speech therapists are going to be fundamental in the management of a stroke patients also, when you order swallowing studies, um, they kind of look at the phases of swallowing and they tell you the patient has a patent functional mechanism or not. They're, they're phenomenal. And what they do also when you go to these uh, long-term facilities or recovery units for post-stroke patients, they're working hard and making these patients get back to speak and working on their swallowing. It is, it is really, really awesome. In my personal case... I were really close with some of them and not so close with some other kinds of them. I work really close with the police and the relationship that I have with the police is crucial because literally if you're friends with the police officers from your local town, 
Guess what's going to happen when you get pulled over at 3 o'clock in the morning and speeding when you're coming out of your shift? It's going to be the same cop that probably you took care of in the emergency department two weeks ago when he brought the prisoner uh, or the criminal to the emergency department to get medical clearance. And this guy might give you a little break and allow you to kind of, hey, doc, don't worry. I understand. And he lets you go. So remember... Police officers work closely with you. Sometimes you just feel that it's an annoyance to deal with one extra patient that they're bringing you. They're usually they're not the nicest patients. They're usually violent, intoxicated, impaired, etc. But just try to make their life easier because they're liable. They transfer liability to you as well, but they're just trying to do right by themselves and by the customer that they're carrying around. Well... We spoke about the many levels of nurses. You have your regular nurse. You have the charge nurse for your unit. Every unit has a charge nurse. And then you have the managers. You got the AOD, the administrator on duty, or what they call the house AOD, the administrator for the whole hospital. And these are uh, escalations of levels of power that happen usually in the middle of the night, and they control the whole hospital. And Believe me, if there is drama, if there is issues with you as a doctor, if there is drama with a patient, if there is drama that goes beyond the levels of your unit, these administrators are going to be contacted and they have a quick dial button to the CEO and the CNO and believe me, uh, they will help you right away or you will be in trouble right away. As I said, doctors work for themselves, nurses work for the hospital. Uh, It's sad, but despite the fact that we're a team, Uh, Nurses report to the hospital, you report to your boss, and sometimes what's written on the record is not the most convenient thing for the doctor, neither, or vice versa. So be, be really careful. And I'm just saying, be careful. Well, as we get close to the end of the chapter, let me talk briefly about uh, PAs and registered nurse practitioners. So registered nurse, advanced registered nurse practitioners and PAs, they have a little beef among themselves because to make it into PA school is sometimes even more difficult than to make it into medical school in America. Let me put it that way. And it's highly competitive. Why? Because these kids have phenomenal scores. They have done the bachelor's degree, graduate degree, and then they decide to be PAs. And there is not too many PA schools. And once you make it in, you have to have fantastic uh, scores. And these people are well-trained, and they have four years of formal training in clinical medicine. And they have the argument um, that they have uh, more years of education when compared to a nurse practitioner. A nurse practitioner has to have certain amount of years of experience as a nurse before they become an uh, advanced registered nurse practitioner. Nurse practitioners pride themselves on having had more clinical experience and more critical thinking skills. And also, as everything here in America, some of these degrees are obtained online, some of them are, you have to go in person, etc. So you, you will see the difference in quality of your nurse practitioners once you start interacting with them. Obviously, the more experienced they are, the better they are. And... I'm going to tell you something. Many PAs and many nurse practitioners have been better providers of healthcare than many doctors that I have worked with. Many doctors. And I have worked with many nurse practitioners and many doctors that are better than many of my colleagues. And I said with no problem, believe it or not, better than many of my colleagues. So acknowledge them, respect them. They work under their license. You have to supervise them. And you're liable for their proceedings. So they're a phenomenal part of the team, but just be aware of that. 
We also have the CRNAs, the Certified Registered Nurse Anesthetists. So I had a lot of exposure to them in the small towns in America. Usually you don't have anesthesiologists to be available in your little critical access hospital. And you have CRNAs that cover three or four counties around you. And they drive around for an hour or two to deliver anesthetic uh, and sedation services across several counties. And there are nurses that did an um, uh, advanced degree on anesthesia, and they're phenomenal. Well, and you have the students. You have medical students. You have nursing students. You have advanced registered nurse practice students, PA students, radiology techs as, uh, from every source and kinds. And you have your administrators. You have your CMO, which is your big boss. You have the CNO, which is the big nurse's boss. You have the CEO that walks around also. And, you know, uh, chief experience officers, etc. And And it's so interesting. Sometimes it's Monday morning and you're sitting doing your shift, drinking your coffee, and you hear, you hear um, loud walking down the hallway like they had high heels. And, you know, oh, I bet it's the administrators. And you turn around, it's usually... The CEO, you know, with the nice dress-up shoes, with the heels knocking on the floor, the wooden heels, or the CNO on her high heels walking around in her professional dress, or working with her scrubs on a white lab coat. That's another thing in America, the lab coat. The lab coat is not only used by doctors. Everybody uses a lab coat, and I don't think, I think lab coat has come not to be anymore part of being a doctor anymore. You know, it's kind of sad, but anyone can wear a, a lab coat. Sometimes you see nurses, uh, administrators, when they have issues or conflicts with the patients, they put their lab coat that shows administrator, nurse, manager, whatever, to confront the patient that is being difficult or not. So that image of power with the lab coat is not anymore, you know, distinguished of the physicians. I would say... Um, just the batch is what will make the difference, you know, RN, MD, etc. Nothing harsh that I have against RNs, MDs, or anyone in particular. It's just, it's just the name of the game, guys. Uh, things have changed. Got to used to it. I, as I said, my goal is just to kind of give you a little bit of a heads up on what it's like to practice medicine in America. I'm not calling names. I'm not calling institutions. This is remarkably unbiased and impartial. This is experiential. That's my advice. My advice is not the same advice as someone else can give you. My experience has been a great experience in the United States, and I only want you to have a life in America without the hassles or the bumps in the road that I went through so your life is easier in the United States. And as of now, I said goodbye from episode number 50. Thank you, guys. Thank you for being part of this group. Please share. Leave me feedback. Five stars if I deserve it. And I love you all. Please stay safe. Be safe. And I wish you success in your match process of 2020. Thank you again. 